at this time, we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. And, uh, you know, last night we actually celebrated uh, my oldest daughter and my youngest daughter, uh, their birthdays. Uh, Brianne tur- turned six and our baby turned two. She's no longer a baby. And it was actually, it was so funny because we're, we're there and we're at a fun factory and we're just having fun. We're hanging out. But what was really interesting was that looking at who was there, the relationships that were built, the, the, the friends who are no longer friends, their family. I know it's all because of what God did through ministry. What's so amazing is that when we give to the Lord, he turns everything to blessings. He takes relationships and makes it from friends to family. And, and that's such an amazing part. I got to, and a lot of them were actually former youth that are now young adults. And it's like they're helping watch my kids now. It was so amazing. It was so awesome just to see what God is doing in their lives. And, you know, that's what we get to be a part of. That's, a, that's the best part. See, we don't give to a church. We give because we are the church. And this morning, you might be visiting us for the very first time. And if that's you, we ask that you don't feel obligated to give. In fact, receive this service to help you in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you're visiting us from another church, and we want to continue to encourage you to give wherever you regularly attend church services. But if New Hope Church is where you call home, would you know that as we continue to give to the Lord, he not only strengthens our relationship with him, but he allows us to build relationships with each other that last for all of eternity. Would you bow your heads as you pray for our tithes and offerings this morning? Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and Lord, we thank you so much for all the things that you do, Lord, for all the blessings that you give to us, Lord. And Lord, this morning, as we give you our tithes and offerings, Lord, we do so knowing that you're going to take it and that you're going to multiply it so that you can build relationships with people all over, not just Hawaii, but all over the world. And what's so amazing, Lord, is that not only that, but we get to build relationships with each other because that's who you are, Lord. You're the God of relationships. And so, Lord, we thank you so much. And we pray right now that for those who give, that you let them know that what they're doing right now has eternal rewards because you love each and every single one of us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. We look forward to what you're going to continue to do in the lives of your people. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. This morning, Dr. Glenn Burris will be continuing our service in God's hands. And he's going to show us that he's going to speak about how we're created for eternity because we are made for much more than just this life. In fact, let's take a look as Anella shares her testimony. Hi, my name is Anella, and I've been coming to New Hope Church for eight years. I accepted Jesus in 2011 when I lost my friend Ryan. What led me to come to Jesus was I was at a dark place at that time, uh, losing my best friend. And when my friend passed away, I knew I needed something different. And I just felt like I needed to go to church. And I did go to a prior church before coming up here, try and see how it was, and then just came up here. It didn't get easier, but I knew that I was gonna be okay, knowing that I had something to look forward to, even when I was gonna go through my dark paths, I knew that God was gonna be every step of the way as I, as I went through that. Created for eternity means that there's more to just this life, that there's something for us to look forward to when we move on to heaven. So the song that I'm dancing is Oh My Soul, and when I first heard that song, it brought me a connection to when I lost my mom. And 
there's a line in the song that says, you're not alone. It's just comfort to know that although my mom's not here, I'm not alone. She's always with me. And the promise that, you know, we're created for eternity, so I know that she's not alone either. She's with God. I know that there's other people who lost loved ones, and I just want to say that you're not alone as well. And it's going to take time, but when you put your trust and your faith in the Lord, we're all created for eternity, so we have that hope knowing that we will see them again. Boy, what a powerful message for all of us that we are not alone, definitely not alone. And God has given us eternity. He's given us a life here on this earth. He's given our loved ones eternity, and we have a place to look forward to. I was watching this one video yesterday, and it was a, a, a realtor who was showing another man a property worth $350 million. The home was 35,000 square feet with a whole bunch of cars uh, a million-dollar staircase, and everything that you can imagine in a home. Home theater, everything, 25-foot screen TV, uh, an outside pool with another uh, TV screen outside, like a theater-sized screen. So I'm looking at this, and I thought, this has no comparison to what heaven will be like because God tops everything that we could ever possibly dream Today, we're continuing in our series, Life in God's Hands, and that's the whole thought. The thought is, what if, we were, what if we were to have the perspective of living our life as if it were in the hands of God? Because our, our lives are in His hands. The question is, am I going to live with that kind of thought and that kind of mentality? And if I can, and if we can, then we'll be able to be the kind of people that says, there's a better place than this. But until then, we got a lot of work to do here on this earth in reaching out to more people who know Jesus Christ. When you came in, you are given a bulletin or you use our church app so you can take that out. And as you can see, we have a guest speaker today, but he's really not a guest. He's more like family. This is Pastor Glenn Burris or Dr. Glenn Burris. He is the president of our Foursquare denomination. Is this eight years or nine? You're going on nine already. So... He's been our president of Foursquare and not just the president of our denomination, but he's been such a good friend, a good mentor to Heidi and I. Every moment I get with this guy that I can speak with him, I learn something new every single time. So I hope that you also, as he speaks and shares God's word today, that you would learn something from the word of God. So could you welcome with me Pastor Glenn Burris as he comes and shares. Thank you for being with us today. Hi, Sheldon. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Aloha, kakahiaka. It's fun to be with you today, and uh, Sheldon, thank you so much. We love being with you and Heidi and have uh, always enjoyed our time together. And In fact, we actually didn't come here to speak at the church. We came here to eat at Ken's because that's one of our favorite places to eat. And I told Sheldon I was going to be here because we were flying over from Atlanta to eat at Ken's. And he said, we should come over to the church. And I said, oh, okay, it's not that far down from Ken's. And we introduced our grandson to Ken's this weekend. So uh, he's going to become a favorite. Can't believe that uh, menu. They must have a lot of refrigerators to keep that much options available for people and uh, loved it. We took our grandson whale watching yesterday over in Kona 
and uh, he just had a fun time. We ended up seeing some manta rays and some dolphins, and, and that was fun. Came through Waimea and saw the Cherry Blossom Festival, and uh, traffic was uh, reminding me of L.A. Uh, almost <laughs> yesterday in Waimea. Um, I love your theme because uh, last year, a year ago, I buried my mom, and I watched my mom and dad. They raised us in a Christian home, and uh, I was a pastor's kid, so I grew up in a, in a... In fact, I grew up... He was a four-square pastor, so I was actually four-square before I was a Christian and got saved at an altar after one of my dad's messages and watched them grow. My dad became a district supervisor, watched them buy a couple homes, and then my dad passed away, and... Then I watched my mom move from a home to an apartment and from an apartment to a, an assisted living center. And, and I remember walking in the morning where she was uh, dying from this earth. And I realized that everything that she owned physically was in a closet. And I thought, that's the cycle of life. We don't bring anything into this world and we really don't take anything out of this world from material things. So what investment do we make? What mark do we make in people as earthly citizens? Do we reflect our heavenly citizenship? And um, I, I love going and I, one of my favorite things in the world is my passport because I've been to like 80 countries and, and I've been able to meet people from all over the world and it's been absolutely fabulous and I could tell you some fun stories. Um, but uh, one of my favorite stories is I went through Canada on my birthday one year. And so the immigration officer, she was a woman, she opens my passport and she says, Mr. Burris, it's your birthday. And I'm going, yeah, isn't that nice? And she sang me happy birthday in the immigration line. Has anybody in this room ever had an immigration officer sing happy birthday to you? See how rare that is? I want to talk to you today, and uh, if we can put up the first slide uh, of while we're waiting. Um, let me tell you why this book is so important to me, the book of Philippians. It was written uh, by a man in a prison in Rome. A year ago, I was invited um, to Rome to celebrate the 50-year anniversary of the charismatic renewal. And um, I went by the Sistine Chapel. Uh, you remember Michelangelo uh, has a beautiful painting in there. I think it's creation where God's reaching down to Adam and Adam is casually reaching back up to God. And, and the line was around the block. And you understand it. Beautiful, beautiful paintings and maybe irreplaceable chapel. Then I took a taxi cab over to a place called the Mamertine Prison. It was the dungeon where the Apostle Paul spent his last um, few days of his life under a crucifixion, um, death by Nero. And he writes this book. He writes the book of Philippians. He writes to a church that he started uh, in Europe. He writes to a group of people, and I, I find it so encouraging because he's a man who's facing death, and so whatever he says is really important. He has nothing to hide at this point, so he's writing to a group of people, and he's, he's dying a man that basically is, is contented 
if you remember, he's coming through Jerusalem and there's a man who grabs his belt and says, the man who, who's the owner of this belt is going go to go and be um, tested and beaten and then led to death. And Paul said, uh, but it's that my time in life to do that and I don't fear death because of, of the connections and commitment I've made to Christ. And so he's in this prison. There's nobody, by the way, at the Mamertine prison. Everybody's visiting the Sistine Chapel, but nobody's at the Mamertine prison. So I go down into this dungeon where Paul writes this letter to a group of believers in a church he started. But he's dying a happy man because he realizes the church has gone beyond Jerusalem. He has planted a seed that is now being watered and will produce fruit literally around the world. Now what's sad today is that the, the rarest demonstration of the gospel is in the Middle East where the gospel started, right? And then you go to Europe where it went next and that's almost the least next represented. And then you go to North America and then you go to Latin America and to Asia and you begin to see this cycle of if we don't protect what God's given us, if we don't continue to recycle the, the wonderful things of the Lord, we will lose the passion uh, that Christ has given us. And so this theme that you have about how do you think about heaven in light of how you're living today so that life has meaning, that everything that God is doing you is not only just preparing you for the future, but it's allowing your life to reflect to others where you're headed I want to quote you something today from a book called uh, Irresistible Faith by Pastor Scott Sauls of Nashville, Tennessee. He said, the identifying mark of the city of God is when the citizens of the heavenly city become the very best citizens of the earthly one. I love that. It means to say that people will look at you and say there's something different about your life. Or do they look at us and say, I don't see anything different. They claim to be a Christians. It was uh, Mahatma Gandhi who said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. That's an indictment against us. That our behaviors don't reflect the teachings of Christ often. But my prayer today is that even through series like this, the church is regaining what it looks like to be heavenly citizens, but representing that and our earthly citizenship. I'm going to show you a picture today of, um, uh, it's, Mike and I can see it very well, but it's a statue outside of a train station in Poland. This is a picture of Nicholas Winton. He died uh, recently at 106 years of age. I think it's funny. I'm 64 today, and I'm feeling uh, the age a little bit. Last year, I had some physical challenges, and God saw me through them, but I now know why Ponce de Leon spent everything to find the fountain of youth, Sheldon. <laughs> now, what I find interesting is this guy lived to be 106. Our president, uh, Dr. McPherson, was, our, was the president of Foursquare for 44 years. I, I sometimes ask the question, why would he want to be the president for 44 years? I finish up in a year and a half, and, and he was told at age 94, 91 or 92, he said, your heart is like the heart of a 20-year-old. You could live to be 125. And he said, I don't want to live to be 125. They said, why? He said, too many things quit working by then. <laughs> but this guy lived to be 106 years of age, which I find very interesting. He was a British citizen. 
raised in Germany, but moved to London, and he kept a secret for 50 years. Even his wife didn't know this secret, till one day she was cleaning out the attic, and she found a journal, and in the journal was a ledger with 669 names of children that he had rescued from Poland during the early days of World War II and spared those children from death in the gas chambers. Now what's interesting is that no one knew this because he kept this a secret. Um, I think he uh, reserved nine trains. He got them out on trains. And the final one he filled with children, but it never got out because Nazi Germany invaded Poland at that point and they never let the train leave and no one's ever heard from those kids since. Now what was interesting is he was headed to a ski uh, resort in Switzerland. His friend called him up and said, hey, we're not going to go skiing, we're going to go to a refugee camp. He went to a refugee camp and he met many of these kids' parents. And they said to him, we know we can't leave, but would you help us smuggle our kids out? So for over the next year, he smuggled 669 kids out. Now what's fun is, I don't have this, but there's a video if you go online and look up Nicholas Winton. What you'll see is a surprise TV show where he doesn't realize he's the honored guest. And he comes to this TV show, and his wife has been working with the TV producers, and the audience is filled with people, and what he discovers at the end of the TV show, and is powerful, is that the people in the audience are the kids that he rescued. They're now 60 and 65 years of age, but they're there to thank the man and to tell him how life was different for them because he rescued them. Do you think of your life in that sort of way that God has put you here for a purpose, not only just to get to heaven, but, but actually as you're storing up reward in heaven has to do with your interaction with people here. It has nothing to do with what you own, has nothing to do with your position, your authority, your possessions, but it has to do with everything about intersecting with people here on this earth. There's a powerful verse that I had up earlier, at least the reference to it. I'd like to read it this morning out of Philippians chapter 3. It says, but there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of, of the high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. So that's, that's what we believe He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and around them. What I find interesting is that Paul's saying the same power that will transform your body when you go to heaven is the same power that's working in you now to transform your life in this earth. There's four words I want you to at least review with me today and I know that You'll not remember everything that I have to say, but I hope there'll be a story or a thought that will somehow um, plant a seed in your life and it will come back to benefit you in decisions you're making or, or situations you find yourself in. And here's four words that have meant a lot to me. The word balance, the word patience, the word hope, and the word compassion. And the reason I use these four words 
balance, patience, hope, and compassion is if these four words are evident in your life, my, in my humble opinion, they are evidence of God working in you toward this heavenly citizenship, but it's being reflected in your earthly citizenship. So the ideas of balance, patience, hope, and compassion. Let's start with balance. I wrote this uh, word, balance is a sign of maturity. Balance is a sign of maturity. Have you realized in our world how polarized we're becoming? All you have to do is read the paper and see our politics are, are polarized. The Democratic and Republican Party, I'm not here today to, to even talk politics, other than to let you know that each party seems to be getting to extremes. And, and no common ground. This is what I know about my marriage. I've been married 44 years, and you know what's made a healthy marriage? Finding common ground. In fact, sometimes my wife looks at me and she says, we need to talk. Now, what I know is that 99% of our marriage can be going good, but if there's 1% that's going bad and she says to me, let's talk, I'm a wise husband. I listen. And that's made us last for 44 years. Now, I love this um, statement. It says, we've all heard that married people live longer. I think that's kind of cool. But for one man, Mary's literally saved his life. Donnie Register was working the cash register at his store located in the antique market in Jackson, Mississippi, when two men walked in, held him up at gunpoint, and demanded money. A shot was fired at Register's head as he threw up his hands. Remarkably, his wedding ring deflected the bullet. Pieces of the bullet lodged in his neck and fingers, but none of his injuries were fatal. Donnie Register, who'd been married for 38 years, doesn't chalk it up to luck. He believes his marriage saved his life. I know being married was a good thing, he said. I just didn't know it was that good. His wife gives God all the credit and says this story is a good reminder that men should always wear their wedding rings. <laughs> I just love that story. I had to... Um, By the way, 50 years after we started as a movement, Sheldon, I don't even know if you, I mean, I, I was the president, didn't even know this. 50 years after we started as a movement in 1923, we had 2,900 churches. That's pretty good coming from one church, wouldn't you say? And 32 nations. And 200,000 people were coming to Jesus a year. But in the next 45 years, actually it's now 46 years, there are now 95,000 churches of Foursquare around the world in 164 nations and almost 3 million people a year come to Jesus. I think that's pretty cool. That the last 46 years after the first 50 years has had now a compound interest. Well, one of those nations has thousands of churches and recently I found myself in a difficult position. Some things had gone on in the nation and I needed to confront its leader as the global church. So we did, we had a lot of meetings and a lot of global calls. And, and so I wrote this leader a letter and he wrote me back this terse response and says, you have no authority over what's going on in this country. And it's, there's, there's that. And I wrote him back, but this time I wrote a public letter to the nation that he's over. And I said, your president has refused to talk to us. Well, that infuriated him more. 
So now he takes their board. He and the board wrote us a letter back and said, recant this letter publicly. You wrote it, le- you wrote it publicly, recant it pu- publicly. So I wrote him back. Now, again, this is after lots of conversations with those that I'm in relationship with. And I wrote him back and I said, we can't recant this letter because in our opinion, it's truth. And you need to meet with us with your board. Well, I just want to tell you, this ministry was so large that no one could ever speak to this leader. Have you ever known either people like that in authority or position where no one had any place of authority in their life? And he wrote us back and he said, okay, we'll meet you in Miami. So a week ago, we met them in Miami. And for the first three hours, they spent convincing our global council what a wonderful ministry this was. And I knew, I knew the collision was coming. I knew at some point I was going to have to get up and speak truth. And see, this is, this is the point I want to make to you today. That truth and love. Let me read this verse to you about balance is a sign of maturity. This is what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So it's, it's not speaking the truth that makes you mature. It's not just loving that makes you mature. It's learning the tension and balance of truth and love that makes you mature. It's living with that tension. It's realizing as a parent, you set boundaries for your children, but you love them unconditionally. Can you say amen? amen. But let me tell you with my kids. My kids finished with college. I'm going to get back to the, to the meeting in a minute. But my kids both finished college at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and they said, we took a psychology class, and we know how you parented us. I said, oh, really? What did I do? And they said, you gave us everything money could, could buy. You were a pastor. You didn't have a lot of money, but you were very generous to us. We, we remember that. You helped us get through college without being in debt. And I'm going, great. I'm glad you appreciate that. They said, but you had the highest expectation of anybody. And we think that's a great balance for parenting. You were generous, but you set boundaries. Because they said, if you had been generous and not set boundaries, we would have lived an undisciplined life. But had you set boundaries and not been generous, we would have been resentful children. And so when I look at this verse in Ephesians and I look at that balance is a sign of maturity, it's when you come to the point in your life and you're actually happy to live in tension. You realize that tension actually creates life. It is a sign of maturity. So finally, when I stood in front, this was just last week, when I stood in front of this board, actually a week before last, since this is the first day of the week, I stood in front of their board and in front of this president. And as far as I know, no one has ever corrected him publicly. I affirmed all of the things about their ministry. I, I did, <laughs> this is what I did. I did the wife talk. We, we need to sit down and talk. These are all the wonderful things I appreciate you about you. Remember the letters, seven churches of Revelation, where Paul, uh, uh, John records these words from the Lord, and he said, I love this about you, I love this about you, I love this about you. Nevertheless, we need to talk about these things. Remember those letters? Nevertheless, you've left your first love. So I said these nice things, and then I turned to their president, and I said, but we need to talk about some very difficult things. 
Would you uh, rejoice with me that, first of all, I apologized for the pain that we had caused them by writing the public letter, but then I said to the board and to him, but I don't apologize for its contents. I apologize for the process because I realize that caused you pain, but I can't apologize for what we feel like is truth. Do you know by the end of my conversation, after I dealt with several major big issues, their board stood and applauded. And their president stood up and repented in front of all of us. And later he came to me and shook my hand and he said, we're going to be lifelong friends because I have few people who will talk to me that honestly. Why? Because people have probably gotten blacklisted by being open. And I don't know what it is. It's, it's a fear at times that keeps us from speaking the truth. But it's selfishness oftentimes that keeps us from speaking it in love. Learning that balance. Balance is a sign of maturity. It is finding that great place. Secondly, patience is a sign of perseverance. Patience is a sign of perseverance. You know what patience is? I, I used to kind of get mad sometimes when people would take a long time to get there. And then I realized, you know, the Bible never, I mean, if you find some verses like this, I'd love to read them, but the Bible never says hurry up. The Bible says things like, they that what? Wait upon the Lord. That person who exercises a certain confidence in what God's doing allows things to mature in time. This is what I've come to understand about God's will. God's will is not just about the what, it's about the when. Please hear that. God's will is not just about the what, it's about the when. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. Moses tried to deliver Israel too early. And let me tell you something. His leadership, though with right intentions, actually created more problems for Israel. Because they had to then make what? More bricks with less straw. Remember that story? And it, for 40 years, they suffered under an impatient leader. But now when God finally visits Moses in the wilderness and said, I'm ready to go rescue Israel from Pharaoh. Let me just tell you, if you're ever going to confront Pharaoh and demand that he let his people go, you better make sure that a God is standing behind you who can bring plagues. Because if you don't, you may actually create more problems. You may have the right motive. You may have the right... Um, idea, but presented in the wrong time, patience is a sign of perseverance. It's a sign of deep down inside you saying, the enemy is not going to win. Let me tell you, some of you parents today that are praying and laboring over your children, let me tell you, the enemy is not going to win. That's where you have to live. But you may have to be like the prodigal son's father who just stands at the end of the driveway waiting for him to come to his senses. But trusting in the God who can watch over our kids better than we can. I was on a flight to, to Wisconsin recently, a small plane, and I was sitting in the first row. Have you ever been on one of those planes that everybody's in first class? So the, the flight attendant came on and she said, no drinks are served today because uh, the flight's too short. And I thought, well, it's not a big deal. 
I was really glad that she said that when the guy came down and sat beside me. He's about 40, 42 years old, and he was absolutely wasted. I could smell him as he's entering the plane. I'm going, oh, Lord, please don't let him sit beside me. It's exactly where he sat down. He was rude. He was arrogant. He was just, he was so obnoxious. And he got his phone out and he said, hey, Glenn, let me show you some of my girlfriends. And so we would point to a girl. He said, that's my Italian girlfriend. He'd point to me and he said, that's my, that's my uh, German girlfriend. And he said, I meet all of these girls at a bar in New Jersey. There are 10 girls to every guy. He said, in fact, if you're ever in New Jersey and want to go with me, come on. I'll take you to the bar and introduce you to some people. I pulled out my phone. This is real. I pulled out my phone, pulled a picture of my wife up, and I said, uh, thank you, but I'm happily married, 43 years, this is my wife. He grabbed my phone, looked at a picture of my wife and said, man, she's really cute. Could I have her number? <laughs> now, I wanted to punch him out. <laughs> and then you would have read in USA Today paper, Foursquare president arrested as the plane lands for punching a drunk passenger out because he made a rude comment about his wife. I just sucked it all in. And I said, something's going on here. What's going on? Uh, about 15 minutes into the flight, he said, this is the worst day of my life. And I wanted to say to him, well, it's almost been the worst day of my life, but just <laughs> keep going. Let's compare notes here. And he said, this morning at, at 7 a.m., I got a call that my 62-year-old dad died in the middle of the night my age we were estranged we had a bad relationship and I'm flying back to my hometown that I haven't been since I left divorced my wife and left my kid I have nothing to do with him and now I've got to plan his funeral and I thought okay I'm sitting beside a guy who's in a lot of pain so I start <laughs> I moved from passenger to pastor mode. I started asking him about his plans, and finally he turned to me and he said, what do you do for a living? <laughs> he said, are you a preacher? I said, yes. And he said, I can tell. And I spent the next 20 minutes coaching him on getting through this grief, being open to... A reconciliation with his wife and kids. When he went off the airplane, somebody called him and he said, uh, yeah, this is the worst day of my life. But I sat beside a pastor and for the first time I see hope. I'm wondering sometimes if, our, if we miss opportunities because our patience goes to the wayside because we respond to the moment. We respond out of anger. We respond out of frustration, out of disappointment. And we lose the opportunity for ministry. Patience is a sign of perseverance. This is what Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lonely bodies 
by his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Joseph waited 400 years. He was dead. But God, as a teenager, came to him and said, one day you're going to rule your family. And they are going to inherit a land of promise. Joseph only lived to see part of that dream. He only lived to see the part of where he ruled his family. He never lived to see the part where his family would inherit the land of promise. But when he died, he made this comment. When I die, bury my bones in a box. And when God comes and gets Israel to take them to the land of promise... I want you to take my bones with me. You see, patient people see a future that others don't see. So they're able to persevere because they see the end from the beginning. They just don't see the beginning. They just don't see what is now. They understand the past. They have a good grasp on the present. But frankly, everything they do is about the future. Third, hope is a sign of confidence. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Think about that. May the God that you serve, may the God of hope fill you with peace. Let me say that again. May the God of hope fill you with peace. In other words, there's a confidence. If you're a person of hope, I meet people all the time that are skeptical and cynical, and I get it. There's lots of reasons to be angry and mad. But all I have to do is, is rewind a tape or go to YouTube and see a speech from Martin Luther King Jr. who said, I have a dream that one day my four children will not be judged by the color of their skin. Recently, I visited the church that he pastored in Atlanta, Georgia, where we have a home now. I visited with the pastor there, Raphael Warnock, and, and I just wanted to experience this place. I don't know about you, but the man who is recognized in the world, the youngest man ever to receive a Nobel Prize, was a pastor, Sheldon. We, we critiqued the church, but God chose a pastor to be the voice of civil rights in this nation. And recognized around the world. In fact, he's the only non-president that we have a federal holiday named after. And, I, and what I think is cool, it is dad was a pastor before Martin Luther King Jr. was. He traveled to Jerusalem to review his spiritual heritage. Then went to Wittenberg to visit the castle church where Martin Luther had nailed 95 arguments. In fact, back then, Sheldon, if he wanted to talk to you about... If they wanted to debate something, they, they nailed a notice on the door. They didn't have email. They didn't have Facebook. You know, today, if people don't like something you do, they can post it to the world. Well, then, the only thing they could post was going to a church door and, and nailing. I was at that church, nailed 95 points of debate that Martin Luther wanted to have with the church. What no one knew at that time is that the Gutenberg Press was being developed and that those debates went viral. That was their social media. The Gutenberg Press took that debate. Martin Luther had to go into hiding. You know what he wanted? He came out of the Catholic Church. He just wanted everybody 
to be able to read the Bible for themselves. To not have it interpreted by a few designated people. And so when he went into hiding and he's in fear of his life, the first thing he did was translate the Bible into German so every German person could read the Bible for themselves. And today he's recognized as the father of Protestantism and he actually opened the door through nonviolent means. So Martin Luther King Jr.'s dad so admired the change that Martin Luther brought about, not by violence, but by an act of obedience. I just want you to hear that. His hope, listen to me, his hope, his confidence of a different future, that everybody could read the Bible. He believed in the priesthood of all believers. Can you say amen? Not just in a few priests, but in the priesthood of all the believers. That God had empowered all of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I love this connection, and I'm going to give you my last point, and we're done. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dad was so impressed by Martin Luther's act of obedience, he changed his name. I don't know if you knew that. Martin Luther King Jr. was named Michael King Jr. because his dad was Michael King. But his dad was so impressed with Martin Luther King that when he came back from Germany, he changed his name to become Martin Luther King. And so his son became Martin Luther King Jr. So this pastor was inspired by another pastor who has changed the course of history. Last, compassion is a sign of godliness. Compassion is a sign of godliness. Colossians says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Two, two people and we're done. Jonah... Anybody ever heard Jonah and the whale? Jonah was the first prophet sent out of Israel. And he was so disappointed that God wanted to save the Ninevites. I find this interesting. That instead of going to Nineveh, he booked a cruise ship to Tarshish. God intercepted the cruise ship, tossed him overboard, put him inside of a whale, dumped him on the beach in Nineveh. And this is what I think is cool. See, God, two things I want to tell you. God's going to call you out of your comfort zone. That's what he does to heavenly citizens. He calls you out of your comfort zone. Why? Because earthly citizenship will not save this world. Only heavenly citizenship. Whatever you have to offer in this world will not redeem this world. America has 5% of the world's population and 80% of its opiate addiction. Earthly answers are not going to help. I met a young man last week named Ernest, 31 years old, tattoos everywhere, all the way up his neck, all the way around, everywhere you could see tattoos. And I heard him say at age 11, my grandmother who raised me got killed. She was drunk, walked out on the street and got killed, and now I had no family. I ended up in a juvenile delinquent center, and for 19 years I've been in a revolving door with gangs, drugs, jail, and prison. But six months ago, somebody gave me a pamphlet, and they said, you need to go to the Dream Center they have hope there. I met this young man three weeks ago, and he said, for the first time in my life, I have hope. 31 years ago, I was born in the Queen of Angels Hospital, and six months ago, I was born again at the Queen of Angels Hospital. 
Because that hospital is now a ministry center that serves over 50,000 people a week. Can you rejoice with me that the church is the answer for our world's problems? The government's not the answer. Politics aren't the answer. More government's not the answer. The church is the answer. I ended up with a bleeding ulcer in April at a hospital that Billy Graham went to when he was ill in North Carolina. And I love this. The lady who waited on me was a Christian. She operated on me. She's 38 years old. Beautiful young girl. In fact, Sheldon, her and her husband are coming to our convention in Nashville. So cool, God made a real great connection. I said to her after I came out of surgery, did you ever help Billy Graham when he was here? And I'm going to end this with you and then have a prayer with you. She said, no, I never got to, to wait on him, but there are people, part of my practice that got to wait on him. But every time they went to his room, he was gone. They would have to go look for Billy Graham in other patients' rooms. As sick as he was, as old as he was, he spent every possible moment telling every single person about this hope. That's why I serve him. That's why I know he's the answer to any issues you have as a parent, as a husband, as a spouse, as a teenager. I'm shocked by the violence in our world today. I'm shocked by the suicide rate. I'm shocked by the hopelessness. But there's an answer. Jesus gave it to us. It's the church that has a message and reflects Christ. I live in Southern California, and 10 years ago, they had monsoon rains. After the monsoon rains, they issued a uh, an announcement, come out to the desert and see flowers that have never bloomed in generations. And what they discovered is that seeds that were deep in the earth that were finally reached by water had worked their way through the earth and now were blooming. This is my prayer for you today. There have been seeds planted in your life for generations. Seeds planted in your kid's life. Seeds planted in your neighbor's life. Somebody else is going to come along and water, and this is what I believe. God's going to give the increase. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just a simple question. I wonder if you're here this morning and would say, you know, Glenn, I'm a Christian, but after I heard you this morning, I'm not sure that my life reflects these heavenly characteristics like they should. That people can see balance and hope and compassion and patience. But, but I, I, I want... I want God to do that in my life and so that my reflection everywhere I go, whether it's an airplane, whether it's at the mailbox, whether it's in the grocery store, whether it's at work, I want my life to reflect. If you raise your hand this morning, you're saying, I need more of that in my life. I need the Holy Spirit working more in me so that I reflect a heavenly citizenship in my earthly citizenship. If that's true, would you just lift your hand? I need more of that. Thank you. Almost the entire room this morning. Last question. Some of you could never even get there because you've never let the seed of the gospel ever, you've never let it be reached with the water of love and compassion. If you're here this morning and don't know Jesus, but would like to take that first step, would you just lift your hand? I want to follow Jesus this morning. Anybody? There's one, two, three, four. Anybody else? I need to follow Jesus. Five, six. Seven, Jesus, thank you this morning 
for the solid word that we have confidence in today. Bless this congregation. Bless Sheldon and Heidi. May this be the greatest season of ministry they've ever experienced in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we say thank you to Dr. Glenn Burris for sharing the word of God?